Welcome to the second season of SeaTech Voices, The Risk Perspective, the podcast that brings you expert insights to today's hot topics in healthcare cybersecurity, compliance, and privacy. Each episode of The Risk Perspective Season 2 features an inside listen into the conversations between SeaTech thought leaders, subject matter experts, and industry guest speakers who share their trusted risk expertise and perspectives. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. New episodes are released weekly, and a transcript of each episode can be found at Synergistic.com. And now for the show. Hello, and welcome back to The Risk Perspective. I'm Lauren Frickle. On this episode, we're back with Marty Arvin, Executive Advisor at Synergistic. Today, she's back to chat about information blocking yet again. This time, she's here to discuss keys to understanding the rule and considerations we didn't think about. Hey, Marty, how are you? I'm well, Lauren. Thank you. Good. Good to have you back. Always a pleasure. Marty, we've put together a lot of information and material on information blocking. You know, we have your ebook, we have a webinar, we have a few other pieces of collateral on information blocking and interruptibility. But tell us why we're here. Why are we talking about this again? Lauren, you're right. We have put a lot out there and there's a lot of material to cover on this, but I've been doing with work with several of our clients and I still encounter folks who don't appear to be clear on what the actual obligations under the rule are. There are organizations out there who are doing a good job around this, but I still talk to clients and others that don't seem to be quite clear on what the obligations are under the rule. Oftentimes, I speak to folks and they think about this as far as allowing access, use, or exchange for patients to the data, but the rule actually expands upon that and expands to other parties. And I'm still running into situations about things that as you're thinking about implementing and being prepared for the April 5th compliance date of information blocking that I hadn't even considered or thought through thoroughly. And so that's what I want to talk about on this podcast, sort of thinking about and making sure that the understanding of the rules clear and also talking about some of those considerations of things that you might still not have thought about as you prepare for this. Yeah, it certainly sounds like there could be a lot of organizations out there who may need more clarity on the rule. So Marty, without going deep into detail, what are the basics of information blocking again? What does information blocking do and how does it change the industry? So I'm not going to talk in detail about the basics of this. We've got other podcasts in the ebook that people can go to for that. But one of the things I do want to focus on is thinking about how it's changing the industry. Prior to the information blocking rule, many healthcare organizations could deny access to data because there was no obligation to share the access to the information. If a competitor came to the organization and asked for information, obviously the organization wouldn't want to share that information with the competitor. But now under the information blocking rule, they may be obligated to share it. The information blocking rule really says you have to share the data unless there's a legal prohibition from sharing it or it fits one of the exceptions under the rule. So I'm asking organizations to really think through how they're going to handle those requests from third parties and how they're going to handle the requests from patients. You know, some organizations I hear say, well, we're just going to put everything into the patient portal and that's how we're going to allow access, use, or exchange. Well, the rule says that you have to allow access, use, or exchange in the manner that the requester asks for it unless there's a basis by which you can't share it that way. 
And there are exceptions around that when that is the case. But when you think about this, what if the patient doesn't want it through their portal? What if they want to get the information through an application on their phone? What if they want to get it in some other manner? And what about your patients who don't use your portal? What are you going to do about ensuring they have the ability to access, use, or exchange the information? So it's really thinking a little bit more broadly than just the patient portal, but it's also considering what do you have to allow access, use, or exchange of? Again, the rule delineates between April 5th of this year and October 6th of 2022. So if you need to think about, can you share everything you have to share through the patient portal through the whole context of the rule. You might be able to think about this for April 5th, sharing everything in the portal, but the, the amount of information you have to share after or October 6th of next year, you may or may not be able to share that through the portal. And then we haven't even talked about other third parties that you might be getting requests from. So today you might say, we only allow access, use, or exchange for research of for researchers that are directly involved or have some affiliation with our organization. Under information blocking, any researcher from anywhere in the country could potentially ask you for information. If they've met the criteria to get the information under the HIPAA regulations and met any other legal requirement to get the data, then you're going to have to have the ability to parse through that request and decide, is there some legal prohibition against us sharing the information? And if there's not, is there an exception under the rule, under the information blocking rule that we can rely on to not share the information? Otherwise, you're gonna have to be prepared to share it. And one of the scarier aspects I've been thinking about is we know there are cases out there where whistleblowers have requested information from organizations, they have collated information from CMS, and they have identified potential False Claims Act cases. And so you may be getting requests from whistleblowers now that again, in the past, you didn't have an obligation to share the data. And now going forward, again, if you can't find a law to rely on that says you can't share it, or you can't fit it into one of the exceptions under the rule, you're going to be obligated to share the information to allow access, use, or exchange of it. So it's making sure you're planning for both how you're going to allow access, use, or exchange of information by patient, but how you're going to allow that same access, use, or exchange by third parties. And the number of third parties who make the request after the rule goes into effect is probably going to increase, it would be my expectation. So again, you have to have a process to be able to analyze those and make sure you share the data if you're obligated to and won't be found guilty of potential information blocking if you don't. Wow. Or should I say woofda, what we say up here in Minnesota. Marty, that was a lot to unpack to add to a lot of this. You also said you've identified situations in your work with our clients that you, Marty Arvin, information blocking expert, if you haven't noticed already, Marty, you are an expert that you haven't even considered. What are some of those? Yes, Lauren, as I work through this with some clients, there are things that I'm thinking, wow, that's something I want to make sure people are thinking about because it hadn't come to my mind until it came up in my work with the client. So one of those is thinking through, the rule says by April 5th of 2021, you have to be ready to share access, use, or exchange of the data elements that compromise the US CDI version one. 
And for a lot of organizations, those data elements make sense. It's lab results, it's uh, other types of information like that. But a slight expansion to the Open Notes project is that USCDI identifies eight note types that you have to be prepared to allow access, use, or exchange of. And again, those are pretty common. Consult notes, uh, histories and physicals, imaging results, laboratory pathology reports, things of that nature. But in particular, there's a note type called progress note or that you have to be prepared to share. And when you look at what USCDI says about a progress note, under USCDI, the progress note is a note made by a nurse a physician, a social worker, a physical therapist, or other healthcare professional that describes the patient's condition and the treatment given or planned. So as you think about how you're going to be preparing to share this, I think a lot of folks might be looking at those note types under USCDI and thinking, oh, those are all physician notes. So, you know, that's going to be easy. But when you look at the progress note in particular, it may be a note that's being made by another healthcare, another type of healthcare professional that fits that criteria. So as you think about what you're going to share and you look at your electronic health record, you may have a note type that you call progress note. Well, the first consideration is, are the notes that people put in the system for that note type a note that talks about the patient's condition and the treatment given or planned? If it's not that type of information, then while it meets your note type, in the EHR of a progress note, it may not meet the USCDI criteria as a progress note. Do you want to share it or not? You might be looking at the roles in the system for people who use the progress note note type and deciding that for certain roles, you're not going to share the note because what they typically put into that note type does not constitute a progress note for purposes of USCDI. The flip side of that is you may have note types in your system that do fit the USCDI description of a progress note that are not the progress note note type. I know this gets confusing, but think through, do you have a note type called social worker? Do you have a note type called physical therapist? Do you have a note type called respiratory therapist? If what they're documenting in that note type is the patient's condition and the treatment given or planned, then that would be a progress note for purposes of USCDI. So I would argue you have to be prepared to share or allow access, user exchange of those types of documentation as well. So just considering that. Now, you know, kind of flipping gears and thinking about something else. Business associates. Have you really evaluated whether your business associates have maintained anything that would constitute part of the designated record set? Now, again, for April 5th, you only have to think about the USCDI data elements. But in preparing to be fully compliant with the information blocking rule, starting October 6th of next year, 2022, you have to be prepared to allow access user exchange of anything that's in the designated record set. And that's defined by HIPAA as the medical record, the billing records, and anything else used to make a decision about the patient. So what's my example here? My example here is what if you have a third party that's doing your billing for you? Do they maintain that information in their system? And if they do, and it's not duplicated in your system, then they may be maintaining something that constitutes a portion of the designated record set. 
how are you going to allow access user exchange of that information from your business associate? What if you've terminated the relationship with the business associate, but it still constitutes a portion of the designated record set? And are you going to have to figure out a way to be able to get to that information that is with the business associate with whom you no longer have a relationship? And then the exceptions. Now, this is something I had thought a bit about, but as you read the exceptions of the rule, they are very nuanced. It's unlikely for several of the exceptions, you're just going to be able to create a blanket that says we're never going to share for this purpose. The one that, that comes to mind most prominently is the risk of harm exception. Again, it's incredibly nuanced. You have to have somebody think through on an individualized basis whether you can deny access because of the risk of harm exception. So you're going to have to have really strong policies and procedures around the analysis of those exceptions. And again, I go back to what I mentioned earlier, when you're starting to get more and more requests from third parties, that again is going to have to be a structured process and how those are analyzed and making sure that you have people involved in the process who really understand the exceptions in detail and can make that determination that they apply or don't apply. It, it is a lot. There are other things, but that's just a few that I've ran across and thought through as I do the work I do with clients. Thanks, Marty. So this is a lot. It sounds like there's a lot of work to be done here. Knowing that, what is your suggestion for organizations to ensure they're ready by April 5th? Well, I think there are a number of organizations out there who've, who've started this, who've got a structured process, uh, who've created a project plan around it. And that's, I think, one of the best things you can do is really have this as a project plan with all of the key stakeholders involved so that you can ensure that you're thinking about all this aspect. Again, folks tend to focus on the medical record. Well, that's okay because that, that aligns pretty well with the USCDI data elements for April 5th, but you're gonna really need to do a strong data inventory and evaluate all the places you have EHI. That's the information blocking definition of the information, electronic health information. It aligns with the HIPAA definition of PHI. Uh, so, you know, thinking through where do we house, where do we store, PHI, both within our organization and potentially by third parties like your business associates, does that PHI constitute part of the designated record set? And if it does, how are we going to allow access user exchange of that after April 5th, if it's something that constitutes part of the USCDI data elements, or after October 6th of 2022, if it constitutes something that's considered part of the designated record set? So that data inventory is something that you should ideally have in place, but a lot of organizations don't. So that's something to think about. The good news is you might have a little breathing room around that because if it's not within the EHR, it's probably not part of the USCDI data elements. And you can wait until next year to, to uh, not wait until next year, but you have until next year to, to think about that and walk through that process. But again, I encounter a lot of organizations who you know, still haven't gotten that thoughtful project plan in place. And I think that's something that you need to be considering because April 5th is going to be here before you know it. It's less than two months away. And when you think about how stretched organizations are these days with responding to COVID and dealing with COVID, 
then, you know, that may be you've got great people internally, you've got some good expertise internally, but you just don't have the resources to be able to, to fully prepare for this because of the other places that your resources are being used today. And so I think that's something to consider, you know, do you have the right people internally who not only have the expertise, but have the bandwidth to do this? And if you don't, then that's when you might consider seeking outside help. And so I think that's, again, something to really consider. Uh, and as you get into the shorter time frame, like I said, it's less than two months away. That also may mean that you're going to require outside assistance with this because you just, again, don't have the bandwidth to get up to speed and get everything in place. So again, if you've created a project around this and you're going through it in a methodical structured way, that is phenomenal. I hope you found some of the information that we've shared in this podcast meaningful and it might be even something that you hadn't thought about or considered already just know we're here for you we have created a lot of collateral for this as lauren mentioned i've written an ebook on it that's available on our website we've done several podcasts around this and we're always a resource for you to reach out to if you're looking to potentially engage an outside resource we're always here to partner with you that's what synergistic is all about awesome thank you so much marty and yes a note to our listeners that compliance date is less than two months. Marty, I know you said that throughout this conversation, but I do want to drill this date into our listeners' head. So we're going to do our best to continue to provide updates as needed on this podcast, The Risk Perspective. So I encourage our listeners to like and subscribe to our channel. And Marty, thank you so much for your input and insights. And thank you to our listeners for listening.